Cluster B personality disorders are characterized by dramatic, overly emotional, and unpredictable thoughts and behavior. From Ars Longa Media, this is Cluster B, scientifically informed, expert insights into the four Cluster B personality types, antisocial, borderline, narcissistic, and histrionic personality disorder. Here's today's host, Dr. Todd Grande. Oh, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks so I can talk about this unusual idea of converting a vulnerable narcissist, a covert narcissist, into a grandiose narcissist. Sometimes we call that overt narcissism. So this is, again, an unusual theory and I think a little bit dangerous. I heard it a while back and thought it was kind of an isolated thing, like somebody just came up with this idea and that was it. Then I heard it again and then I saw a question come in about it. So I thought, well, this is probably a good time to answer this question. So first, let me briefly explain the difference between grandiose narcissism and vulnerable narcissism. So with grandiose narcissism, we see low agreeableness. We see the same thing with vulnerable narcissism, but we see high extroversion with grandiose and low neuroticism. With vulnerable, we see low extroversion and high neuroticism. So grandiose traits would include being bold, socially dominant, arrogant, and being resistant to criticism. Vulnerable traits would include having a lot of shame, resentment, distrust, and being hypersensitive to criticism. So this brings me to this theory about converting vulnerable to grandiose as part of treatment, right? So going through this theory kind of step by step, here's the logic of it. Narcissists tend to fluctuate between grandiose and vulnerable states. So we do see change. Change is possible. It's just that all the change seems to be confined in the realm of narcissism. So people who are narcissistic typically don't become non-narcissistic, but they can become another type of narcissistic, right? Again, grandiose to vulnerable or vulnerable to grandiose. The next step in this argument, grandiose narcissists don't suffer, right? So this is something we see in the research literature. If somebody has grandiose narcissism, as long as they're in that grandiose state, they tend to do okay. They are not well adjusted, but they don't seem to suffer from a lot of mental health symptoms. However, they cause suffering. And they usually do so through fairly simple tactics that are easy to spot. Of course, they're dangerous, but again, just straightforward. Vulnerable narcissists do tend to suffer. They tend to have a lot of depression and anxiety, which we would expect with a high level of neuroticism. They cause at least as much suffering as grandiose narcissists, if not more. And they use relatively complex tactics as compared to what we see with grandiose narcissism, like playing dirty being sneaky. They'll bide their time to attack somebody after they believe that they're insulted. And on top of this, they're difficult to spot. Again, covert narcissism. So a vulnerable narcissist can be thought of as a failed and more unstable grandiose narcissist, right? So the mission of a vulnerable narcissist, in a sense, without them maybe even really knowing it, is to become grandiose and they have not achieved that goal. Now, both grandiose and vulnerable narcissists are difficult to treat. Much of the time, if they go into a clinical setting, they would be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. Again, if they met the criteria, that's usually what we would see. Even though vulnerable narcissism doesn't really overlap too well with the diagnostic criteria for NPD. Grandiose narcissism, of course, overlaps quite well with the symptom criteria. So again, we see difficult to treat, right? So not a lot of progress in counseling. Because the states go back and forth and don't go away, 
The logic, therefore, becomes, this argument becomes, why not try to help the vulnerable narcissist to turn into a grandiose narcissist? In essence, to complete the journey that they already seem to have started. So other than that piece, which is to move over to grandiose narcissism and therefore to have less suffering, another part of this is really connected to strategic therapy, like this therapy where someone would prescribe the symptom, and I'll talk about that in a moment. So looking at this idea in general, can therapy be used for this purpose? Well, it's a neat idea, and I would certainly give it an A for creativity, but there are many problems with this, including some ethical problems. I found five problems. I'm sure there are actually more, but I'll go through five that I think are particularly important. First problem, it wouldn't work. Vulnerable narcissists have too much insight. There's a reason that they can't be grandiose. It's likely they've already tried to be grandiose and it didn't work out. Just like it's difficult to build insight when it's not there, it's also difficult to eliminate insight, right? So insight just doesn't change a lot, at least much of the time. Number two, even if it could work, how would you do it? Increase self-esteem? We know this runs into all kinds of problems in many areas. It's not like flipping a switch either. It's just not easy to say, well, your self-esteem is low, so let's increase it. And what about moving someone from low extroversion to high extroversion? That's pretty difficult, right? And then moving them from high neuroticism to low neuroticism. Really, neither one of these can be done, right? Extremely difficult. Number three, if it did work somehow, and it wouldn't, but if it did, what would we do then? We'd have fewer vulnerable narcissists and more grandiose narcissists. This gets into the strategic therapy angle, right? So the idea here is that if you prescribe a symptom, if you tell somebody who's narcissistic to expand their characteristics, like for example, you could look at somebody who's arrogant and say, now let's be more arrogant. Somebody who has a sense of entitlement, you need to be more entitled. Fantasies of success and power have greater fantasies, right? The idea is that the narcissist would look at that and say, oh, I see now what I was doing, right? There's a light bulb moment. The problem is the grandiose narcissists are egocentric. They feel that their behavior is normal. Now, vulnerable narcissists can also be egocentric, but we think of more of their characteristics as being egodystonic. They realize that what they're doing and how they're feeling is not normal. It's uncomfortable for them. So if somebody is egocentric, like the grandiose narcissist, again, strategic therapy is not going to be effective. Number four, it's not ethical, right? I've heard the harm reduction theory many times. For example, if somebody's drinking a lot of alcohol and a counselor can work with them and get them to reduce their consumption, that's good. And I think harm reduction does make sense in a lot of cases, but substituting one dangerous trait, grandiose narcissism, for another vulnerable narcissism is not the same thing as harm reduction. And then number five, when somebody is in a vulnerable state, it's actually a good time for treatment, right? So grandiose narcissists come into treatment when they are in a vulnerable state. So it's a hopeful sign, not a time to give up. And for what it's worth, I don't think there's ever really a good time to give up on a client, right? Regardless of the psychopathology involved. Now, even though I don't agree with this tactic of trying to turn a vulnerable narcissist into a grandiose narcissist, I can understand the feelings of desperation. Millions of people are suffering because of narcissism exposure. It's really out of control. It is a narcissism epidemic. The problem is growing. We see a threefold increase in narcissism in the last 40 or 50 years, depending on what research you look at. Some research even shows a more market increase. Nobody seems to know what to do, right? The nature of the disorder itself, narcissistic personality disorder, makes it so that people who have the disorder won't seek treatment, right? That's really very common with 
egocentonic disorders. There's no way to compel individuals with NPD to seek treatment like there is with some other disorders. And if you can compel somebody into treatment like civil commitment, that comes with another large group of problems, right? We get into this philosophy of freedom versus security, and it's just not that easy to answer. It's not easy to say, yes, we should just force people into treatment. Historically, forcing people into mental health treatment hasn't really worked out in most cases. But even with all these different things in mind, right, the situation that we have with narcissism being so severe, we have to follow the rules. Creativity, of course, is allowed, but using counseling techniques that try to trade one type of harm for another, that's not allowed, right? So they're just restrictions. Again, we have to play by the rules as we try to solve the situation with narcissism, as we try to end the narcissism epidemic. For more content like this, check out Healthy Toxic, another podcast from Ars Longa Media, all about what makes or breaks relationships, including issues related to narcissism, narcissistic abuse, and how personality disorders affect relationships. Ars Longa, Vita Brevitz. Learn more at ArsLonga.media. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.